Well, good evening. We'll begin our worship tonight by standing together and singing hymn number 441. Hymn number 441. Dear Savior, Thou art mine, and we'll sing all four verses together. <clears throat> Well, let's bow together in an opening word of prayer and ask the Lord to meet with us as we've gathered to worship tonight. <clears throat> Our Father, once again, we gather in Thy house in Jesus' name. Father, we thank Thee for the awareness of the special blessing that Thou dost place upon the house of God. And Father, we don't take that lightly. We are thankful for the privilege that we have to come up to thy house tonight, once again at the end of this Sabbath day, to praise thy name for thy goodness and mercy shown to us in the gospel. Father, we worship thee tonight. We give the sacrifice of praise unto thee. And Father, we pray that every aspect of the service tonight would bring honor to thy name and glory to Jesus Christ. We're thankful for our, our, our Savior and our Redeemer, our, our, the Lord Jesus. We're thankful, Father, for the 
willingness, the joy that was set before him when he endured the cross and despised the shame and is now set down at thy right hand. Oh, Father, we're thankful that Christ loved us and gave himself for us and even now makes intercession at thy right hand for us. Lord, we are, we are people that need someone to make intercession for us. And Father, we're thankful that there's no greater man that can do so than the great priest, the mediator, the go-between, our Savior Jesus Christ. There is one God, and there's one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. And so, Father, we pray tonight that thou will help us. Uh, we're thankful for this afternoon and the time of fellowship. There's no people like God's people, we must confess, like Moses of old. And Father, we pray that uh, at the end of this day, that our hearts once again would be thrilled not only to be with each other, but truly our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. Remember our sister works, many of whom have already met. I pray that the word would continue to, to go forth and that it would continue to, to ring in the, in the minds and in the hearts of those that heard it. Father, we're thankful that we're part of Christ's body and that we can gather in this visible way tonight uh, to show that very thing, that we belong to Christ. Bless every aspect of the service we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to sing hymn number 566. Hymn number 566. Channels only. You can remain seated as we sing all five verses.
For our Bible reading, we're going to turn to 1 John chapter 3. 1 John chapter 3. When we think of John's writings in chapter 3, we think of the Gospel of John chapter 3, which is a well-known chapter, but as I've gotten further along in my Christian life, I've begun to realize that First John, John chapter 3 is also um, a very, should be a very well-known chapter for God's people. And we're just going to read down to verse 18. We're not going to read all the way to the end of the chapter. First John chapter 3, verse 1. Behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knoweth us not, because it knew him not. Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself, even as he is pure. Whosoever committeth sin transgresseth also the law, for sin is the transgression of the law. And ye know that he was manifested to take away our sins, and in him is no sin. Whosoever abideth in him sinneth not. Whosoever sinneth hath not seen him, neither known him. Little children, let no man deceive you. He that doeth righteousness is righteous, even as he is righteous. He that committeth sin is of the devil, for the devil sinneth from the beginning. For this purpose the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. Whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin, for his seed remaineth in him, and he cannot sin, because he is born of God. In this the children of God are manifest, and the children of the devil. Whosoever doeth not righteousness is not of God, neither he that loveth not his brother. For this is the message that ye have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. Not as Cain, who was of that wicked one, and slew his brother. And wherefore slew he him? Because his own works were evil and his brothers righteous. Marvel not, my brethren, if the world hate you. We know that we have passed from death unto life because we love the brethren. He that loveth not his brother abideth in death. Whosoever hateth his brother is a murderer, and ye know that no murderer hath eternal life abiding in him. Hereby perceive we the love of God, because he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whosoever hath this world's good, and seeth his brother have need, and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. Amen. One day reading. In verse 18, I trust the Lord will bless even this reading of his word to us for Jesus' sake. Well, we bid you welcome tonight to the Lord's house.
Uh, it's been a good day in the house of the Lord, and uh, trust that the Lord will meet with us as we gather to worship Him tonight. Uh, just remember some of the announcements. Remember uh, Tuesday p.m. prayer meeting. Uh, Pastor Gallagher is going to Skype uh, or host the Skype for, for those that can't make it. So just remember that Tuesday at 7. Next Sunday, the normal services, 11 and 6. Um, in the bulletin, you have some of the prayer requests. Remember Janet, uh, Mrs. Flynn, uh, some of the others that are mentioned there. Uh, and then also uh, remember Calvin Gallagher as well as he... Uh, is going down certain steps to uh, have the, the cancer treated. It's going to be a, a challenging few months with, uh, with treatments, so keep him and our brother Ian uh, in prayer in the days to come. <clears throat> I think those are all the announcements that need, that need to be made. Before the preaching of the Word of God, we're going to uh, sing hymn number 75. Hymn number 75. the love of God, and we'll stand together as we sing.
Be seated. Well, we're turning back to the passage that we read earlier from 1 John chapter 3. And while you're turning there, let me say how much I've enjoyed being with you folks again here in Calgary. And uh, I'm looking forward for the opportunity to be back once again. I'm, uh, I'm excited about the, the study in, in Hebrews chapter, uh, chapter 1. Uh, very, very rare that I actually dig deeper into texts and kind of fill them out. In a, in a more full way, so that, uh, that study of going through that section. Not every section in the scriptures is easy to do that with, but uh, because the, the passage in Hebrews 1 is so, so rich in theology, uh, I've often said that I wanted to really just slow down and, and deal with, with some of that, that theology there, so uh, look forward to to continuing that when, in the will of the Lord, I come back in January. Uh, hard to believe that when I come back, it'll be 2024. I don't know what 2024 looks like for your country, but uh, it's a very important year for our country. Uh, I'm sure there's going to be some riots and some people happy and unhappy by the end of 2024. Um, the next four years of the federal government will be determined. So I think it's, uh, it's probably the first time that I can remember the nation not excited as much as fearful as to what, <laughs> what the, the next year may bring. It's a strange feeling. It's almost like the still before the storm. Like uh, usually already you're getting the rah, rah, rah of an election season leading into election year. But it's almost like, and I guess because of the, the nature of the charges being brought against the former president and all that, that everyone's kind of just waiting to see what happens. And no one, it's, it's almost like a, a still. And uh, depending on what happens, the other side will not be very happy. And uh, it could, be, could make for an interesting year. So... Uh, that's what we have to look forward to in the coming year. But regardless of what takes place in our nations, all power has been given unto Christ in heaven and in earth, and that doesn't change. And we're going to deal a little bit with that today. I'm entitling this message tonight, Because We Love the Brethren. And we're just going to take different verses from this passage that we read. I'm not going to go verse by verse down through the whole text um, the theme uh, is pretty much the love of the brethren compared to the hatred that the world has toward God and toward His people. I, uh, I'm going to focus tonight on the love of the brethren. I was just talking with Mitch today about our, our pasts in our, in our lives. And I turned 50 this year in just a, another week or two kind of lose track, actually, when I travel so much. I, what is today, the 17th? Today's the 17th, so a little over a week. I'll turn 50. And we were just talking today about um, how that the earlier portions of our life almost seem as if they seem so remote 
that almost seems like it's, uh, it's, it's the, a story of a different person. Like almost like you, you, you remember events, but it's almost like you read it in someone's biography. And oftentimes that's the case, especially when you get married and then have children. The, the change that takes place in the life is so drastic that your former life, when you were in your younger days and in your teens and you had thoughts as to what you wanted to do and where you wanted to go, it almost seems like it was the account of someone that, whose life you watched in a documentary or it read in a biography, such as the the nature of the change that takes place in life. And I'm, I'm, I'm sure there are people that when they're younger, they know what they want to do and they pursue that. And it maybe just seems as if it's just one long story of their life. But I would venture to say probably more often than not, lives of people don't turn out the way that they expect them to turn out. And oftentimes you may have had desires and interests to go a certain direction and you never went that direction for whatever reason uh, providence uh, so determined your steps that and, and and i can think back on specific events i often tell my boys that uh, the events that take place even discussions that you have send ripple effects that you have no idea how those ripple effects will will change your life. There was one part of my life where I had just moved out from my folks' place. I was only 19. I still didn't really know what I wanted to do. And I was working uh, as a tender for uh, a mason brick bricklayers and uh, doing, doing brickwork. And I had another job that I was working kind of part-time with my cousin. It was in a greenhouse, a wholesale greenhouse. And they, obviously they... They tend to be very seasonal in their work. And so the busy time came for them, and I was very friendly with the owners there. And they asked me about working for them. And, and so I had this job, another job, and then my brother Ron tried to get me as a, into a driver sales job for one of the, the, the company he was working for. So I had these three, three jobs, and I was leaning toward doing the driver sales job that my brother Ron did. And uh, I spent the night down working at the greenhouse, and I had the number of the, the fellow that uh, was going to, I needed to call to get the job to do the driver sales job. And I had a discussion with someone, and they, they told me that they thought I was going to regret making that call for that job. And I can clearly remember making the decision at that point not to pursue that job, but to, to stay working at the greenhouse. And for 30 years, I stayed off and on, you know, over seminary and different times when I was away. I stayed there for 30 years. And the opportunities that I had and the friendships that I made, it all pivoted on that one moment, that one discussion that I had with that person who discouraged me from going one direction and I ended up going another direction. And so there are times in your life where, where those events come along and your life changes and you head into a different direction, and you look back upon your, li your life, and you wonder, what would my life have been like had I pursued this, or had I pursued that? And now that I'm almost 50, and I've had 30 years, over, a little over 30 years of 
uh, of past experience in our own denomination. I can look back upon my life and see all the ways that the Lord has led. And and there are disappointments and there are failures. But um, when you look back upon the way your life was and you consider your life where it is now, especially being involved in the work of the Lord, I think the priority that has hit me, uh, the, the one thing that stands out is how thankful I am that I can be part of the Lord's work, in, even in the smallest fashion. When we read the scriptures and we understand that Christ is ruling and reigning right now until he puts all enemies under his feet, and then he's going to come again and we're going to reign with him forever, the desires and the thoughts that you had of what you wanted to do or maybe the direction that you thought your life may have gone it, it begins to pale in, in, into insignificance. Even if that direction offered prosperity, offered financial gain. I went to school with, with several guys that even when they were in school, I knew that they were going to, uh, they were always at the top of everything that they did by the world's standards. And I just heard not too long ago that one of the, the guys that I was friends with, haven't seen him in years, is actually a senior partner for Bridgewater Associates, which is a, a major investing firm. And you may have heard the name Ray Dalio, a real well-known uh, investor. He's on business CNBC all the time. Well, my friend is actually one of the senior partners in his firm. And so these were the guys that I ran with. These were the guys that I, that I rubbed shoulders with. And so you wonder, what would my life have been like <clears throat> had I not given so much time to the Lord's work, if I had given more time to pursue the things that my friends have pursued and become successful in the world. And so you think of opportunities lost, you think of, of what that might have meant. You know, every time you look maybe at your own condition and you wonder what it would be like to have uh, a nice place and, and money and, and, and things that they all have. You still look back and see the Lord's goodness and mercy following all, you all the days of your life and you realize that you're in the blessed position because you're in the work of the Lord. You're involved in the greatest work that any one of us can be involved with on this side of glory, which is the preaching of the gospel of Christ. And so I believe that. You look back and you say, well, maybe it would have been nice to pursue those things. But Solomon even says, give me neither poverty nor riches. Give me neither poverty nor riches. We tend to forget about the second part of that uh, when, we, when we read that verse. But we're involved in the Lord's work tonight. And when you consider the Lord's work, and you consider the fact that Christ continues to build his church, and that church for whom Christ has died, those that were given to him before the foundation of the, of the, of the world, are going to reign with him forever on the new earth. That's the end. That's the end game. You realize this is the greatest work that you can be involved with. And ministering and laboring with those that are your brethren and sisters in the work of the Lord is the greatest work that you can be involved with. And so 
I was thinking about that tonight, and I just wanted to leave with you. Again, we're not gonna, it's not going to be a, a long message tonight, I trust. I've said that before and given myself the kiss of death. Uh, but I just want to leave some thoughts with you at the end of this day where we worshipped and we fellowshiped, and now we are back in the house of the Lord as brethren and sisters in Christ uh, in, the, in this evening service. I want to leave these thoughts with you from this passage. And the, the title of the message is Because We Love the Brethren. Because We Love the Brethren. The first thing I want to see is love for the brethren has its genesis or it has its beginning in the love of God for us. And we can see that in the first two verses of this chapter. Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knoweth us not, because it knew him not. Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Just a number of thoughts, and we're not going to spend much time on these. I just want to leave these thoughts with you for consideration, considering the love of God that he has for us. The love of God for us is an all-inclusive love toward those that are in the body. It's an all-inclusive love. But notice the, the words that the apostle uses here, that, that we should be called the sons of God, and therefore the world knoweth us not. It's, it's, he's speaking of a body, a group of people. Uh, they're also known as the elect. They're known as the church. Those for whom Christ has died. And the apostle here is reminding us of the magnitude of the love that God has shown to us in Christ. The people of God as a body, not just a select few that attend the church and, and, and others that are neglected, but those that have been ordained unto eternal life, those that are saved and those that are in Christ are those that God the Father has loved. And and. It's, it's toward all, toward the entire body. And that's how we need to view the body of Christ. Turn with me, if you would, to the book of Acts, chapter 4. The book of Acts, chapter 4. If you're dealing with the, the body as a, as a functioning entity, as, a, as the church that is active in service for Christ, obviously you go to the book of Acts. And the chapter 4 deals with the first real persecution that came upon those that had given their lives to Christ. And when you get down to verse 20, 21, uh, the apostle is Peter and John. They were saying, uh, we can't but speak the things that we have seen and heard. So when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding nothing how they might punish them. Because of the people, uh, for all men glorified God for that which was done. For the man was above 40 years old on whom this miracle of healing was shown. And being let go, in verse 23, they went to their own company and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said unto them. I want you to just focus upon that. And then they, they began to pray. The, the body uh, as, a, as a whole began to pray. And, and amazing answer to prayer, the very thing that they prayed for, the Lord directly, immediately answered uh, their prayer requests. But in, in, uh, in verse 23, it says, Being let go, they went to their own company 
And I preached a message on this uh, years ago. I think the title of the message was uh, The Actions of a Church on the Move, Taking Ground for Christ. And in that verse, I thought it was very interesting that the, the term that you find there, they went to their own company. Uh, in, the, in the Greek, in the original language, it's the word idios. And it's the word from which we, we get our English word idiosyncrasy. When someone has an idiosyncrasy, uh, it's something that is, uh, is something that's, that pertains to them. Maybe something that is specifically them, whether they, maybe they do something with their hair or they, they do something that when you think of that person, that's something that's tied to them. And so uh, that's where we get the word from. It's, it's the Greek word idios. And I thought that's interesting because when we use that word in the English, it's something that is personal. It's something that uh, is, is applying just to that individual. And yet that's the Greek word that's used here. When the apostles were let go, they went to the church. That's, that's where they went. They went to those that were in Christ. And the scripture uses that word idios to show how much unity there was and there should be within the church of Christ. Too often, I think that we are more concerned in our culture uh, with our own idios, our own idiosyncrasies, and we don't view the church as such a part of us. Uh, when the apostles were let go, they went to those that they were joined to, that they were in union with. Almost, the, the, the sense of the word is that they cannot be viewed apart from the body. And that shows you where their desire was. That shows you where their heart was and where their service was. The church was viewed as their own company. And I, I know that the distractions of our cultures and the temptations of our cultures are such that, that the, the believer can be, can be taken away from the great priority of laboring for Christ and laboring in the body. And oftentimes it can, be, it can be phrased in such a way of, well, you need to provide for your family. You need to make sure that, um, that the needs of the family are met. And so you, you launch out and, and start your own business and, and you work hard at your business and you throw time and, and, and blood, sweat, and tears in, in, into the business because in the back of your mind, you say, it's God's will that I do this to provide for my family. And then you wake up one day and you realize, I haven't been praying with my kids. I haven't been, I haven't been the kind of husband that I need to be to my wife. And so in the pursuit of what you believe or, or what you're told by the culture, and even those that, that are, are believers, what you're told is God's will for you. If you're not careful, you can neglect so many other weightier matters of your responsibilities and your duties. And I think in, in, a, in the culture that we have, in the pursuit of, of these things, these temporal things, uh, it, 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 can, it can easily slip into a forgetful view of just how we are to view God's people. And so the apostles viewed the body as their own. And that's how we need to view the body as our own. The Lord views 
the body as one. Uh, the, he, he, he uses, the apostle uses these terms, us and we, uh, in relation to the body. Uh, love for love of the brethren uh, has its genesis in the love of God for us because God uh, deals with us as an inclusive body, everyone, uh, the, the church of Christ. Then the love of God for us is something which we can experience here on earth because the apostle in our text says, Beloved, now are we the sons of God. I think in, in church life, we get so discouraged because we don't see the, the success that the church has, has had in days gone by. And when you have that view of the church and you have the view of the church that the church is in defeat, the days are dark, you almost begin to forget that as you make your way through this life that now are we the sons of God. In his dealings with us in Christ, the word the present is used in this passage. And so the, the love of God and the fellowship of the Lord and the sense of the unity among God's people is something that we can experience now. Not just, not just in the future, but there is a joy of being in Christ uh, that we experience now. And so it's, it's something that we can experience here on earth. The love of God, thirdly, under this first point is uh, the love of God for us results in a legally binding relationship. It, that we're the sons of God. We're the sons of God. It was said, and I, I think it's even true today, but it was definitely said in the days of the Romans that when a child was adopted and the legal process went through, that it was harder to disown the child that was adopted than it was your own natural children. If you had natural children and you adopted a child in the days of the Romans, such was the nature of the process that it was harder to actually disown the adopted child. And, and, and I think, I, I remember hearing Stephen Lee give that same testimony. They adopted two children from, from China uh, that had disabilities. And I think he actually gave that testimony that in the United States, once you go through the process of adoption and those children become yours, it's actually harder to disown those children than it is your own natural children. And so here's an amazing thing, especially when you consider the fact of the, the majestic title that we considered in the passage this morning. Actually, we considered it last week, but it's in that same section that God has now spoken unto us by his son, right? We don't have any difficulty understanding that Christ is God's son, the second person of the Trinity, Jehovah God, eternal God. We don't have any problem understanding that. But when you read a verse like this, beloved, now are we the sons of God. Same language, same title, but he's talking about us. How's that possible? How's it possible that the phrase that's used in Hebrews that is intended for us to view Christ in his, in his majesty as Jehovah God. It's the same passage, same section, where we launched out into considering that Christ is very God of very God, of the same substance with the Father. And one of the terms that's used to describe that is that he's God's son. And yet, 
The same term is used to describe us. So it's not just that now are we the sons of God, but turn the emphasis and you see it from a little bit different light. Beloved, now are we the sons of God. Even after understanding what Christ has done for us in the gospel, even understanding the, the message of the gospel, if you go through all those phrases in Hebrews that when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down, all these great, these great redemptive phrases that you find in a section like that, and you understand the doctrine... It's one thing to understand the doctrine, but it's another thing to actually wrap your mind around it. And the fact that God uses that term, we, 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 we kind of kick that term around all the time, that we're the sons of God. But just let it sink in that the, the very term that's used to describe the second person of the Trinity is used to describe you and me. And the only thing we're good at is breaking the law of God. The only thing we're good at is failing, not, not arriving at the standard that God has set in His Word. And yet, the Apostle reminds us in this great reminder of the Gospel, Beloved, now are we the sons of God. The love of God has, it, it, it results in a legally binding relationship. And if you were to take that reasoning, that 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 legal terminology that we consider that it's easier to disown your own child than it is someone that's been adopted, then think that through. If we were to apply that to the, to the legal binding that we have to the Father by virtue of the work of Christ, it's just as hard for God to disown His own Son as it is to disown, disown us. That's... If that doesn't result in joy and, and a, a consideration of the mercy of God in Christ, nothing will. That we who deserve hell and wrath have been brought into the family of God in the very title that's used to describe God's own son who was perfect in all of his, in all of his actions in order to merit for us a perfect righteousness. That term is used to describe us. The love of God results in a legally binding relationship. Now are we the sons of God. The fourth thing we see is that the love of God uh, for us carries sure promises. And we're going to get to this, another reference uh, in, in a few moments. But in verse 2, And it doth not yet appear what we shall be, right? doesn't appear what we shall be to us yet. Same, similar language that you find in Romans 8. Right? That it's, it's going to be revealed. Even creation itself waits for the day where the sons of God are manifest. It doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Spurgeon was, uh, was well known for emphasizing in his writings especially, and in his preaching as well, but in his devotional writings uh, to emphasize the promises the promises of God. And when I was younger in my walk with the Lord, I, I made, a, I made a, a strong uh, emphasis, I placed a very strong emphasis on, on doctrine and understanding the doctrines of the faith. 
And that's important. It's, it's important to understand the doctrines of the faith. But what I emphasize with my kids and what I've learned in my walk with the Lord is that I specifically target the promises that God makes in His Word. He wrote, uh, Spurgeon wrote the, the checkbook of faith where every day you read through a different promise. And when you begin to understand the weight of those promises. What exactly is going on when God says he shall do this or he shall do that? Uh, it becomes the, the basis of your experience in life. It becomes the basis of your prayer life. It gives you, it gives you great confidence when you pray because you know you're praying according to the will of God because God has promised to do it. Some of the great revivals and moves of the Spirit of God, and the prayer times during those revivals uh, were well known for men who boldly called down the blessing of God by citing the promises that God promised to do these things. That, that a, a sinner saved by grace actually has the ability to call down a blessing from the Lord by citing the promise that the God of heaven has given. And so here in this verse, it doesn't appear what we shall be, but what we know, there's the phrase, we know, right? We're going to get to that later in our text or, or the main text that I want you to focus on as you leave tonight. But we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. The love of God carries sure promises, and then the love of God for us produces fruit. And every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself even as he is pure. The, the trusting and resting upon the promises that we receive from the Lord has, has an effect. It, it weans us away from the corruption that's in the world and it produces fruit. It, it, it causes a, a purifying, a, a holiness in the life. So the love for the brethren has its genesis in the love of God for us. And then just a few uh, other points uh, as we close out the message tonight. For, second of all, the love for the brethren is not optional. Okay, Love of the brethren has its beginnings or its source in love of God for us. But the second thing is the love for the brethren is not optional. Too many of God's people only emphasize what God has done for us and the love that God has for us. But they don't emphasize the love that we must have for each other. The same type of love, the same type of view that the apostles had in Acts chapter 4 when they went to their own company. I, I often lose sight of this. Or maybe I even just target some within the body but that there are others in the body that I don't view as my own company. And I even go further than that, and, and I can't stand being around them, or whatever, whatever the, the, the thoughts may be in the mind. You lose the perspective that we touched on a little bit earlier, that the language that the Lord uses does not exclude any of his people. And so love for the brethren is not optional. Verse 11, for this is the message that ye heard from the beginning that we should love one another. Uh, it's interesting that the word for message there, it's a form of a word that's used quite often in 
the New Testament. But that actual, the way that the word is used, that's, this is the only place that it's found. It's the only time it's found. But a word that's very close to it is uh, a word that you would be familiar with. It's the uh, Greek word for angel, angelos. And, and so when, and this is the only place that it would be translated something different than that word for angel or messenger, right? And so usually the emphasis is upon the one bringing it. Here it's actually the emphasis is upon the message itself. And that's what angels did. That's why in the book of Hebrews, the whole of chapter 1, the apostle deals with angels. You know, the Jews had a very high view of angels because when an angel was sent forth, right, they, they, their, their whole purpose was to simply be the herald or the faithful messenger in bringing the message that God wanted brought. Whether you're dealing with a message of judgment or whether you're dealing with a message of hope and promise, right? The angels that appeared concerning uh, John the Baptist or Christ's birth. Angels are ministering spirits, right? The apostle says that at the end of chapter 1 of the book of Hebrews. Sent forth to minister and sent forth to, to give the message that God entitled or, or, or in, in gave them to, 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 to give. And so the Greek word is translated message. So this is the message that you've heard from the beginning. So serious and so uh, mighty is the solemnity surrounding this that it's tied, as it were, to a, a direct word that was given by the Father, the same way that God would give a message to an angel. And so the, the seriousness of it, this is the message that you heard from the beginning, that you should love one another. The apostle saying is, look, right from the word go, you realized that this is God's will for you, that you should love one another. And all too often, within the, the congregation of the Lord, uh, there is the, the lack of viewing everyone as uh, in this body of brethren. And there's, there's too many uh, times where, for whatever reason, uh, we don't view God's people in this way. It doesn't mean that if, if they're doing something that needs to be corrected, that that doesn't get corrected. But I've been in situations. I've been in situations where the relationship that God's people have one with another is not the fulfillment of this verse. The message that you heard from the beginning that you should love one another. Love for the brethren is not optional. It thrills my heart when I have the opportunity to attend churches where oftentimes when the numbers are small, the spirit among the people is wonderful. That's all I'll say. That's all I'll say. It tends to be that when the numbers grow, that the spirit among the people changes. And you, you can often even add to that, that when the same group changes a building or changes a location, I've, I've experienced that as well. There's something about uh, even the place, the atmosphere where they meet, but specifically the numbers. When, when the church is small, you, you speak with everybody. Everybody speaks with everybody before they leave, right? And there's, there is a, a unity among the brethren that 
maybe can never be the same once the numbers start to increase. Like I said, I've been, I've been part of very small churches in the free church. And I've been part of some of our larger churches in the free church. And there are often days where I... There are days where I remember... I'll just put it this way. There are days where I remember... I look back upon those times when the numbers were small. And I remember the sense of unity among the people. We always desire for the church to grow. We always desire for more people to come in. But don't, don't overlook what you have when you have a congregation that is united in fellowship and is united almost as one man. When you, when you have that, when I first attended Newtown Square, I say Newtown Square, you may know it as the Church of Malvern, when I first started to attend it. Our family, when we started to attend, I think it made the total number of people in the church was 30 in, in, in Newtown Square. And it stayed that way for about a year, year and a half before the numbers started to, to grow. But I often miss that that experience and the, the joy that I had to go to the house of the Lord because I was, I was so unified with every person that, that attended that service. Everyone that was there. There was such a, a bind that we had in the work that we would stay and talk. Sometimes we'd talk for an hour after the service in the evening service, I look back upon those days and some of us were, were single at the time and we would just spontaneously go to the upper room. There was another room, you walked up the steps, a small room where the Sunday school room took place, the adult Sunday school, and we would pray. Sometimes we would pray for an hour, maybe two hours, just three or four of us. John Greer would come over because the house was joined to the church there. And he would join us once his kids were put down. And, and, and you look back on those days and you say, what, is it, what was it that was so special, right? All the things that you hope for in a church aren't there, right? The numbers aren't there. The, uh, the ability, the means to be able to serve by supporting missionaries and other things, that wasn't there. But I often look back upon the spirit in the church then. And I, I catch myself saying, boy, I, I almost would be willing to exchange, right? To get something of that back. Now, honestly, before the Lord, I, I honestly believe that we, we tasted something of revival. Even if it was just for a moment. The preaching of the word was so blessed and the... the zeal and the interest that God's people had in being at God's house was so blessed that the church wasn't the same after that period of time. We went from like 30 people to almost 200 people in about two years, three years. We had to get a new building. That's why we moved to Malvern, right? But I look back on those days and I know we, we say the verse, you know, despise not the day of small things. But I think 
there's a blessing in that kind of unity when the numbers are small that you may not always experience in your walk with the Lord. And so just keep that in mind when you are praying for the future of the work. As the numbers come in and as the numbers grow and as you, you get a new man in the will of God to, to take up the pastorate here, don't lose that, that unity. That, don't lose that unity. I went to a, a prayer meeting um, not too long ago, maybe last year sometime, uh, a, a, a buddy of mine had a, a time of prayer at his house and some of the folks from his church came to the prayer time and a couple of them were talking. They go to a, a bigger Baptist church and uh, here the amazing thing was that this one fellow was talking to this other fellow and he said that, oh, you know, my brother goes to that church and he says, oh, what's his name? And he, he gave the name and he's like, no, I, I don't know who he is. And here, they both were attending that church for like seven, eight years, right? And neither, he didn't know that this fellow's brother was there, even attending the church, right? And so there may be benefits to being in a bigger church, but nothing really takes the place of that spirit among the people that everyone talks to everyone, and there's such unity among the people. So whatever the Lord, wherever the Lord takes you in the days to come, don't lose that love that you have and that, that desire to be with the people of God in the house of the Lord. So the love of the brethren is not optional. Third thing is the love of the brethren is foundational. We know that we've passed from death to life because we love the brethren. He that loveth not his brother abideth in death, verse 14. This is another one of the, the we know passages. Um, I dealt with this, and I told you that story, I think, in the, in the past about Ivan Foster, how he, he preached from, from 2 Corinthians 5.21 to those, those little kids uh, that he said, you know, little you know, kids growing up, they think they know everything, but, but you really don't know as much as you should. But... The scripture says in different places that there are things we can know, right? And he, in that passage, took them to that passage in 2 Corinthians 5, 1. We know that if this earthly house of our tabernacle were dissolved, we have a building of God, a house not made with hands eternal in the heavens. And I've never actually done a study on the we knows of the scriptures, but uh, this is another one of the verses. And, and in preparing this, I, I thought it was very interesting that almost all of the references to the we knows, come from 1 John. This is, this is an amazing, well, this is a term that he uses very, very frequently. I mean, you have John 3, 2, where the same came to Jesus as Nicodemus came to Jesus by night. Rabbi, we know that that our, the teacher come from God, right? There was no doubt that, that he came from God, right? But that's not actually saying in a doctrinal sense what we know as believers. Once you get into the doctrinal sections of the Word of God, you have Romans 8, 22, for we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain. Later in that chapter, and we know that all things work together for good to them that love God. That passage I quoted, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 1, 
For we know that if this earthly house of our tabernacle were dissolved, we have a building of God, a house not made with hands eternal in the heavens. But after that, all the references are from 1 John. 1 John. And so in a certain sense, you can say that 1 John is a very uh, experience-bound book. Things that we know, that we can know for sure in our experience. 1 John 2, 3. Hereby we do know that we know Him if we keep His commandments. But whoso keepeth his word, chapter 2, verse 5, in him verily is the love of God perfected. Hereby know we that we are in him. And so I'm not going to read you all. There's 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10. 10 different references, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15 different references in the book of 1 John alone that John reminds us of things that we know. In this passage, in this text, we know that we've passed from death to life. Because we love the brethren. The whole context here is the hatred that the world has toward the people of God. The hatred that they display toward the people of God is an indication that they are not filled with the Spirit. That they are not God's. Because they hate the people of God. And so the apostle here turns it around and says, We know that we've passed from death to life because we love the brethren. The, the love that we have for each other in the work of the Lord, it, it's not like the love that you would have for a family member or the love of a friend. It is the love of those that understand that they've both been redeemed, that they've all been redeemed. They're undeserving of the merits of Christ being put to their account, and yet they have this perfect standing before the Lord. And on that basis, the Lord then takes them, makes them part of the body, and we're involved in this great work. We're involved in the work of Christ building his church. When Christ said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it, we're the ones he's using in the outworking of that. And so there's a, a work, a greater, a greater work that is at that is ongoing, that we're all a part of. And so the indication that we are the elect, the indication that we belong to the Lord, is that we love being with the people of God. We love being with the people of God. There are verses like this in the scriptures that, that I, I love to quote because it gives those that struggle with assurance even more confidence. We know that something has taken place in our experience because now we love the brethren. Before we couldn't stand being with God's people. Now we love, we couldn't imagine spending the Lord's day not in the house of God. Yes, of course, to worship the Lord, but to be with God's people. When you're younger, when you're younger in your profession of faith, I have, I have two, two boys, 15 and 16, soon to be 17. And... I just, I'm brutally honest with people when I talk to them about where they are in their walk with the Lord. It's very hard to get a feel for someone's, the depth of the work of the Lord in someone's heart when they're at that age, right? They just, they make a profession, they understand the gospel mentally. But one of the ways that you can gain encouragement when they're at that age is the desire that they have to be at the house of the Lord. And... I'm thrilled that my boys 
they actually rebuke me when either I worked a long day and I don't want to go to the prayer meeting. They, they come after me about getting to the prayer meeting because it, it, it hurts them to not be with their friends and those that are their age connected to the work of the Lord, all, even on a Wednesday night. Right? And so I take great encouragement from that because even in that way, in, in that small way, it gives me the hope that they've passed from death to life because they love the brethren. You know, when I was that age, if I had the opportunity or if I wanted to drag my parents to some, it's probably a sporting event, you know. If they wanted to go to church, I mean, I'd go hide in the closet or something like that. I, that's the last place I wanted to be. But my boys want to be in the house of the Lord. They want to be with, with kids that are part of a Christian home that gather in the Lord's house. And so regardless of, of what, what I may think I should be seeing or I hope to see in their life, here we're told that we know we've passed from death to life because we love the brethren. And so I take encouragement from that, even at their young age. And the Lord, obviously, I look back when I was 16 and 17, and I, uh, I gave less indications that I belonged to the Lord than my boys do. And so it's an encouragement to me. So let's keep that in mind uh, as we move forward in the work of the Lord. Love of the brethren is foundational. And then uh, last thing is love of the brethren is sacrificial. Sacrificial. Hereby perceive we the love of God because he laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. Whoso hath this world's good and seeth his brother have need and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. Turn to Colossians chapter 4, if you would. Colossians chapter 4. Just going through this, this evening, in preparation for this. And this is uh, a a passage where the Apostle's writing to the Colossians, and he deals with a number of people that were involved in his work. In verse 7, All my state shall Tychicus declare unto you, who is a beloved brother and a faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord, whom I have sent unto you for the same purpose, that he might know your estate and comfort your hearts, with Onesimus, a faithful and beloved brother, one who is of you. And they, they shall make known unto you all things which are done here. Aristarchus, and he goes on talking about Marcus, son to Barnabas, Jesus, who is called Justice, Right? And, and, and the comfort in verse 11 that they bring. Epaphras, who is one of you, saluteth you, and, and all these names. I say all that to say that, that these, are, these are individuals that were sacrificing in relation to Paul's ministry or had sacrificed, and they were now a Colossae. And he was either giving, uh, wanting to give greeting to them or he was sending someone who, who was working with him. But, but the emphasis here. In, in this last section, he deals with Luke at the end, and even Demas at that point, who was still involved in, in Paul's ministry. All of these individuals were, were important, and they were upon the, upon the mind and the heart of the Apostle Paul. Why is it? Because of the sacrifices that they made in the work of the Lord and the way that they ministered to the Apostle. In the book of Romans, chapter 16, greet Priscilla 
and Aquila, my helpers in Christ Jesus. And then this great verse. Who have for my life laid down their own necks. That's just a great... To have the Apostle Paul say that about you. What, what a commendation that is. Aquila and Priscilla, who, who for my life have laid down their own necks. Unto whom not only I give thanks, but also all the churches of the Gentiles. Man, you can't get much better, a much better commendation than that. I, the Apostle Paul, the Apostle to the Gentiles, am publicly giving thanks to these individuals who have laid down their own necks for the ministry. And not only me, but all the churches of the Gentiles are in their debt. Because they sacrificed, they gave themselves to the work of the Lord. This has been upon my mind and my heart in recent days. Again, Matthew chapter 20 it's Christ-like, right? Whosoever shall be chief among you, let him be your servant. For even the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and give his life a ransom for many. Serve the Lord in the work of God in the days to come. Put the shoulder to the plow. That's, what, that's the love of the brethren. Love of the brethren is seen in action. The last thing that the church needs to see is more leeches and more takers, people that attach themselves to the work of the Lord, but they only receive, right? The whole point, the whole point of being brought into the body is to minister to the body, is that the body now can, you, you can be used for the betterment of the body. That's the whole point of the analogy, right? Every member of the body serves a purpose, right? Serves a purpose. And so that's why the Lord has brought us into the body, not to just receive. We receive. We receive when we're walking with the Lord and we know the blessing of God. But with an eye to service, that's why we're brought in. That's why the Lord has saved us and made us part of the body. And so the love of the brethren, love for the brethren is sacrificial. It should be seen in what we do, not just in what we say. And so may the Lord spare us from having churches where people use. And, and, and I, I've been there. I've been there. And I know I've been in churches where the greatest damage very often that's done is by people who only use and don't serve. Remember, the Lord has put us in His body to serve. And so we know... That we have passed from death to life because we love the brethren. I trust the Lord will take these thoughts and write them on our hearts for His namesake and for His glory. Let's bow in a word of prayer. Our Father, we're thankful tonight for the great work of redemption. That we have been purchased. We're not our own. We've been bought with a price. And we've been now brought into the family of God and into the body. Help us, Lord, to, to serve. Help us, Lord, to labor. And to remember that even the desire that we have to be with God's people is a reminder to us that we've, been, uh, that we've come from, from death to life because of the love that we have for the brethren. Write thy word upon our hearts, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to conclude our service by standing and singing hymn number 497, hymn number 497. He leadeth me. Let's stand together.
have a closing word of prayer. Lord, we would say with the Apostle Peter so long ago, Lord, it's good for us to have been here and to be in thy house this day. We're thankful for the fellowship that we can have with one another and the great work of grace done in the lives and in the experience of all thy people. Father, we are thankful that there is no better place to be than in Christ tonight. And so, Father, take the word that was preached today and the the reading and the preaching of thy word. May it bring forth fruit in the lives of thy people in the, work, in the week to come. And, Father, we pray that, uh, that thou will deepen the work of grace in the lives of each one of us, that we'll be more conformed to the image of Christ, and that we'll know thy presence more and more each day. Father, we pray for the future of this work. Pray that thou will give us, uh, in this place, a man called of thee uh, to take up the work here and to lead the people forward in the, in the work of the Lord here in this great city of Calgary. Father, we, we know that Christ has given gifts to men, and one of those gifts is the pastor-teacher. And it's connected to his, his work of, of victory and ruling and reigning at thy right hand. And so, Father, we would plead that promise tonight. Give this congregation a minister, a man after thine own heart, uh, to direct forward the work of God here in this place. We leave it with thee, Lord. Thou art well aware of the need. And so, Father, we pray that the, the grace, that thy grace, the grace of, of God the Father, the love of Christ, and the, the, the love of the Spirit of God would go with us throughout the week and in the days to come. We pray that the, hand, uh, the good hand of our God would be upon us. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.